Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, let's get into our sermon series that we are currently in. We are in 1 Thessalonians. We are still in chapter 1. I've been kind of joking around about that, that that this is our fourth week in chapter 1, but we are going to uh, continue on. And so we, uh, last week, we were looking at Paul talking to this church. Paul wrote a letter to these people, and this is actually Paul's first letter, that uh, historians believe that this was his first letter that Paul ever penned to any of the churches. You may or may not know this, but Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, not necessarily in length, but in books-wise. Paul was a missionary. He was sent out, and he would plant a church, and then Paul would be writing letters to those churches. And the amazing thing about God's Word is that the book of Acts— you see how Paul went from church to church. And in Acts 17, we see the account of Paul planting this church and how it got started. And I've been saying this for the last four weeks. This church, it got planted in three weeks. Paul was in town for three weeks. And I think this is, like, amazing. Paul came, he was preaching, he was talking with them, sharing the gospel, and then all of a sudden, persecution came. The religious people of the town did not want to be hearing about Jesus, so they caused an uproar and chased Paul and Silas out of town. But Paul is now writing back to this church. He is wondering, how are they doing? I was only there three weeks. The gospel came, and he saw some amazing things, but Three weeks is really not a long period of time if you really think about it. In some areas, Paul would plant a church and he would be there a couple of years. But as Paul is writing this letter back to this church, it is amazing at how well these people are doing. They're actually thriving. Paul, Paul's first like four, four or like three and a half, four chapters is him praising them and saying, you guys are doing really well. And last week, we talked about how they became imitators of Paul. They saw Paul's life, and they imitated it. And they walked through affliction with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, this week we are going to continue on, and we are going to finish off chapter 1. And if you guys will stand with me and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So we're going to read from... uh, from chapter 1, verse 6, through the end of the chapter here. So, and Paul says this, and he says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you this morning to your word, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would come and 
minister to us and speak to us this morning. May your word come alive in our hearts and minds, and may your spirit be working in a powerful way this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated here. You might have seen up on the back wall, but as I have been doing my studies this week, three words have been coming to my mind. And these three words come right out of these texts, but the three words I want us to focus on this morning, and, and I usually do not preach in this style, but I want you as a church to remember three words. So we're going to focus in on those three words. Turn, wait, and delivered. As I read this section of Scripture and study it, you will see these words and how these words play out for these people. The first word is turn, and in verse 9, I'm going to reread that. It says this. It says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. One of the things about the Lord that I think we really don't talk about much in church or within society as general is this idea and this calling that God has for mankind to turn to him. It's kind of an unpopular saying. It's kind of an unpopular word. I know you guys don't have a lot of conversations. I don't have a lot of these conversations here. But here, as Paul writes this letter, he is commending them. He's saying, we had a great reception. You guys loved us. And and you guys became this amazing example. But how you guys turned from idols to serve the living God. And this idea of turning to God is throughout all of Scripture. You can see this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And really, another word that is, that is constantly used is this word repentance. That this idea of repenting, this idea of turning from our sins, turning from our idols, turning from our other gods to serve the living God. And it's ultimately the message of the Bible. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. These were John's words. His first words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said these exact words. Matthew 4, 17. From the time Jesus began to preach, saying, first word, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you turn to Acts chapter 2, the apostles preached this amazing message. Actually, Peter did. And Peter preached it. And the people said, Peter, what do we got to do? Peter, you just got done telling us about Jesus. What must we do? Peter's first words. Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As you read the New Testament, this word and this idea is constantly coming up. Repent. Turn. Like, you were going down one way, and the challenge is, is you must turn to the Lord. Now, now, this word ultimately means a change of mind, if you look at the Greek text, that, that, the, that these people had a change of mind. 
And Paul is writing to this church, which was really the culture there was, was, was based on Greek gods. So they had all the Greek mythology and Zeus and all of their idols and all of their gods. And he is commending them. He's saying, you guys used to serve these idols. And they would go down to the, to the temples and they would bow down and they'd probably offer up offerings to them. And what happened is that the gospel message came there. Paul came for three weeks and preached about Jesus and talked to them about Jesus and said, listen, this Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, commands everyone from everywhere to turn from this. And that's what happened, is that these men and women turned from their idols, turned from their ways to serve the living God. It wasn't just a mind change, but their actual actions took place. They used to go to the temple and bow down. That was done. They turned to serve Christ. Now, in America, I have said this many times, we don't have idols like how they did in, in this culture. We still have cultures in, in this world. You can travel the world and go to the, the Buddhist temples, and, and you will see people walking up by the millions, bowing down to these gold statues and worshiping these idols. I would argue we still have idols. We just don't have the physical ones like what Paul is talking about here. This past week, I was uh, doing some, some uh, internet reading, as what I enjoy to do, and I was on one of my, my, uh, my, uh, my uh, favorite sites that I get most of my, my uh, news from, and they had this article about why Gen Z may not be worshiping God, but they're still worshiping. And they did this study on the American people and whether or not they still believe that God exists and they don't have any doubts. So, the, so they did this survey and, and they, were, they were asking people, do you still believe that God exists without any doubts? And they started to get the numbers in. And it was interesting because they broke them down into... I want to say generations, but you kind of see, you know how we have a label for like everything, like every generation has a label. And they started to break it down and they talked about the silent generation, which do you guys know the age group of the silent generation? We might have some people in here that might be part of this. If you were born between 1928 and 1945, the label you have is the silent generation. And what they found is that 70% of the people in the silent generation would still believe in God. And they don't really have a whole lot of doubts about it. They would say, yes, I confidently believe that God exists. Well, then you go down to the boomers, which would be 1946 to 1964. And as you look at the trend, so the silent was at 70%. And the boomers, it drops down to 59 that would be confident that God still exists. And then you go down to the Gen Xers, which is 1965 to 1980. It drops from, it actually goes up, sorry. It went from 59 to 62%. Well, then you get down to the latest generations, which would be the millennials and the Gen Zs. Now, now I do want to make this clear. I am not a millennial uh, I might fall into the category, but I was raised in the UP. So if you were born and raised up here, it puts you 10 years back, right? So 
So it's like you can kind of like fluctuate those, those numbers here. So some of you boomers might be actually silent generation, just to <laughs> let you guys know here. Not to make you older, but you might fit into that category. But this is where the numbers start to drastically change. So the older generation is confident in believing in who God is and saying, yes, he exists. Millennials, it drops down to 44% are confident that God exists. But then we get to the Gen Zs. Do you guys know the age of a, of a Gen Zer? Aren't you guys like just up to date? The six-year-olds to the 24-year-olds. So if you're part of the college or high school or really young, you're considered a Gen Z. So that's going to be your label. But once again, if you were born in the UP, you might be a millennial here. But this is where the numbers change. And this is where we see a drastic dip in whether or not they believe God exists. 33% of Gen Z is confident that God exists. One third. It went from within the older generation to 70 down to a third that, that is confident that God exists. Now, this article, it went on to kind of say, what are some of these things happening here? And the, the article talked about these different declines and these different trends. And he says, first, cell phones are incredibly influential. The access to, uh, to information is one thing. The obsession with information is another. The millennials and Gen Zs are the generations, are the only ones that have been raised by their cell phones. They get their news from their cell phones. They begin and maintain and end relationships on their cell phones. If you have ever broken up with, with someone over a cell phone, you're definitely a millennial. Let me just make that clear, okay? But they said they are persuaded and manipulated by social media mobs that have manifested on their cell phones. They form opinions, ideas, politics, social, and yes, religion based off of what they see and hear on their cell phones. There's no time or space for critical thinking on cell phones, only sound bites, memes generated. On a cell phone, you never have to be sure of what do you believe and why, so as long as regular as as so long as you regularly pound away with the mob at what you don't believe and why. Faith and traditional concepts of God are easy targets. And it says this, it says, these realities make our younger generations ripe for dissatisfaction with the old things like church and organized religion and provoke a hunger for whatever strikes them as unique and authentic. I cannot tell you how many young people I have talked to that, that, that use those words. I just want to be authentic. I just want something to be unique. But they went on and they were saying... Just because they're not worshiping the God creator, the younger generation, and this is true within all generations, if you're not worshiping God, you're still worshiping something. And they said this, the younger generation, they worship the idol of race, they worship the idol of sex, they worship the idol of self, they worship the idol of science, they worship the idol of political power, they worship the idol of earth. That they may appear to fulfill the void for a time, 
but the looming ca catastrophe is still there. Tim Teller, Tim Keller said this, counterfeit gods always disappoint and are often destructive. And as we think about our world, we don't have idols as what, you know, Buddha does and over in Nepal and, and like India here, but we do have idols within our culture. People all over, we worship something. But the question is, is do they worship the true and living God? And the call of the gospel, the call of this message of the entire Bible is to come and turn from these idols, turn from the things of this world, and to worship the one true living God. I love what Peter says here. He says, the Lord is slow to fulfill, this is first, or 2 Peter 2, or 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not, is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. The second word, wait. First Thessalonians, let's jump back there. So first word is turn. Second word is wait. For in First uh, Thessalonians, uh, starting in verse 9 and 10, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and in verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. Waiting is one of these central truths that I think I wanted to remind us of and challenge us on this morning. As Paul writes this letter, he is commending them, saying, you guys have turned from these idols to serve the living God, and how you have now wait for the Son from heaven. So, I don't know a lot about end times theology as your pastor. I studied it a lot at seminary. There is a lot of different theories. I don't know if you've grown up in church, but you may go to one church and they may have end times figured out one way. You might go to another church and they've got end times figured out another way. And when I say end times, I'm talking about the second coming of our Lord Jesus and the end of this earth. And there's a lot of different theories out there. And one of these Sundays, I will bring all the theories to you guys and we can just enjoy all of them together and we can argue back and forth, like, how is the end going to happen? And see, theologians have been debating this for centuries. But there is one truth that everyone agrees on, because it's so clear. He's coming back. Like, whether or not, you know, how Jesus comes back, or when Jesus comes back, you know, I could definitely set up some different graphs, and we could show you, like, you know, like, some, like, predictions here, you know, like, you know, 2025, I'm pretty sure. But, the fact of the matter is this, is we all know this, and Scripture teaches us clearly, he's, he's coming back. There is this second coming. And, and as Paul writes to this church, he is, he is commending them for how they are waiting for him. Well, there is plenty of verses about his second coming and warnings, and I'm going to read through some of them real quick. John 14.3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he's saying, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I will come again, and I will take you to myself, for where I am you may also be. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Matthew 24, 29 through 31, Jesus speaking about the end times. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and then and, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to another. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been, been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I love how oh, James puts it. He, he says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. This is James 5, 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. The Lord is coming back. And there is this idea that the church is called to wait. Now, this can be, I think, the most difficult season right? You know, if you have been a Christ follower, um, especially I think about some of the big events. I remember talking to my grandmother about World War II. My grandmother was born in 25. Uh, she, was, she was in Milwaukee in 1943 for typing school back then. And I remember talking to her about, like, Grandma, like, what was it like, you know, to be she would have been a teenager during World War II. And just, you know, there was lots of rumors and like, hey, like, is this the end of everything? Because, you know, once all of the news came out about the Holocaust and six million Jews, I mean, it, there's always been these people predicting, but waiting is extremely difficult. Because I can tell you right now that Jesus is coming and you might believe that and think about that, like, okay, Jesus is coming, but then we just got to wait. And we can become impatient. And we can start to doubt. And we can start to think, well, is he really coming? Because everyone has been telling me that he's coming, and the word says that he is coming, but is he really coming? Well, Jesus gives us many warnings about the church being ready, about his people being prepared for when he comes. This is not a passive waiting. It's not just us just, just sitting, you know, in a recliner saying, okay, all right, Lord, I'm just going to kick my feet up, okay, and I'm just going to think about waiting and just think about, okay, you're going to come. It's not just that. But the church has to be ready for his second coming, that we have to be prepared, that we have to be doing the things that he has called us to be doing. And like what I said, there is many warnings. If you read in your, or write this one down, Matthew 25, read Matthew 25. 
I mean, there is warning after warning that God has given us a responsibility. He has given us, like, this season, and we have to be ready. But as we wait, I think that this is foundational to our faith, that we have to actually believe that he's coming. Not just say it, not just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Jesus, you know, he's going to come someday. But do you, do you eagerly wait? Do we wake up thinking, Lord, is today the day? Because I think the waiting should be motivational. It, it, it encourages me. I'm just like, Lord, you are coming back. Your word says it. God, I, I will be your servant. Whatever you ask of me, I will do. Because, Lord, I know that you are coming soon. My wife and I have been, uh, we love the idea of living in the country. And this thought came to me yesterday. We looked at a house yesterday. We are people that, uh, she really wants chickens and goats. And she wants farm life. And uh, many people are like, well, I don't want chickens and I don't want goats. Um, but yesterday we looked at a place that needed a ton of work. And this thought came to me as we were driving. I thought, is it worth my time to do this? In light of eternity, in light of what God has for me and his calling for his people, is it worth three years of my life to work on a house? on this side of heaven. And that really, really struck me like, Lord, I, I need to be ready for you. And listen, there's nothing wrong with buying a house and fixing it up and, and, and you know, working on it here. You, know, it's, you could argue, argue financially it's one of the best things you can do. But as I think about time and as I think about our church and as I think about his people, we don't have unlimited time. And I want to be a servant of him that says, Lord, I don't want distractions. I don't want things creeping in from your calling and your purpose upon my life and upon your people's lives. And I want to stay laser focused on you. I want to be eagerly waiting for you. Like what I said, it's not sinful to, to be doing any of this stuff that, you know, us in life have. God, what do you have for me? I don't know if that's the best time spent there. When there are men and women all around us in Marquette County that don't even know Christ, that have, that have literally never even heard the gospel, and I just, start, I just start just kind of thinking, like, all I have is time. And maybe it's because when you lose someone, you really start to realize how, how fast time goes. But we should be waiting eagerly and desiring him to come. The third word and final word, because I've kept you long enough this morning, is delivered. First Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is one of the most difficult concepts, I believe, for believers to really grasp. This idea of God's wrath. We don't, we don't really talk about it. We don't really, you know, it's not a daily conversation. But Paul warns them and kind of encourages them. You guys have come to faith in Christ. You have been waiting for his son. And you have been delivered from the wrath to come. 
Well, that means the wrath is coming, but they've been delivered from it. And there is many scripture verses about this idea that God's wrath is coming. And now, I don't want to turn this sermon into a fire and brimstone and try to scare anyone into the kingdom of God this morning. But there's a lot of Bible verses, and I mean a lot of Bible verses, that talks about God's wrath is coming. That, that like, God is, God still has wrath for mankind because of the sins of this world. We often do not realize how terrible sin is. And I mean it is horrendous. And the holy God, the loving God, the graceful God is coming to judge this world. And his wrath will be poured out. Matthew 3, 7, back to John the Baptist here. As he looked at the, uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the wrath to come? John three thirty six, Jesus says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I like how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.3. I've quoted this verse many times. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The world we live in doesn't want to even hear this message. And many Christians that go to church don't even enjoy thinking about God's wrath. But the reality is, is the Lord's wrath is coming. Now once again, I don't know when. I don't know exactly how this is all going to be playing out here. But scriptures warn us time and time again that his wrath is coming. Look how Paul puts it in Romans 2 verses 4 through 8. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Think about that. His kindness leads us to repentance. But in verse 5, but because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when the God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. It's difficult for us to understand and comprehend this. Because I know many of us here have come to faith in Christ and we know of God's grace and we know of God's love. But the reality is, is that mankind is storing up wrath. And Jesus says that there's going to be gnashing and weeping. And Jesus gives us some, gives us some very unpleasant words. But as I think about this, church, I don't, I don't get nervous. I'm not like, oh, you know, this is like, kind of like scary stuff. To me, this is all a motivational factor. Jesus can deliver us from the wrath to come. Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again, saves us 
from our own sins. And he forgives us so that we can stand before a holy God. But as I look at the world around us, I think his wrath is coming. And if I'm called to love people, if I'm called to care about people, I'm going to warn them. Now, it, that would be a little bit of an awkward coffee you know, conversation. So, Bob, I just want to just tell you today, uh, number one, his wrath is upon you. Hate to break it to you. Now, is it truth? Yes. Now, I don't know if I would take that approach, but we have to realize as believers, of those of us who have given our lives to Christ, who have believed in his death and resurrection, that his wrath is coming for mankind. And if we love him, we will share Christ with him. We will share with him about how God has made a way. That there is a way to be delivered from this wrath. There is a way that, 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 that God's wrath doesn't have to be upon you any longer, and it is found in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. It's encouraging. It's, it's motivating to me because I bump into people. And maybe you're like me, but you, you bump into these heathens that want nothing to do with God. They actually hate God. But I think, Jesus, you died for them. You love them. That your gospel message is for them. Just as much as it is for me, this gospel message about Jesus' death and resurrection and his forgiveness of sins is for the world. Because God does not desire anyone to perish, but to come to repentance and faith in his son Jesus. And I think, church, we should be motivated by that. As we look around with our co-workers, with our friends and, and, and family members here, Lord, you love them, and Lord, you made a way for them that if they would put their faith in Jesus, that, if, that they would trust in him, they're delivered. Today, we are doing some water baptisms today. And I am really excited about this on, on this Sunday because I think water baptism is such a great example of what Christ has done and who Christ is. Romans chapter 6 says, For do you not know that when you have been baptized, you have been baptized into his death, and that you will be raised with him? Our entire hope as believers is in Christ. We trust in what Christ has done. We realize we cannot save ourselves. I can't become a good enough person, but I'm trusting in Jesus. And water baptism is us saying, Lord, I'm with you. Jesus commands us to get baptized. And we've got three people here today that are saying, Lord, I'm with you. Rain or shine, I'm with you. Jesus, you command me to be baptized, so I will. So I'm going to awkwardly call them forward right now. They are super excited, Maggie and Jerry and uh, Kaylee here. If you guys will come forward, I want them to come forward. I want to pray for them now and also make the challenge and call. If you are here this morning and have not been water baptized, I would love for you to be baptized this morning. So I want to pray for you guys here. I met with each one of them. We could all face and turn. Jerry, let's get that good-looking face out there here. I have met with them. I have talked about Christ, and they said, Pastor, I'm all in. I want to follow Jesus. 
I want to take this step of obedience to him. So today we are going to do the water baptisms. And so I'm going to pray for you guys, and then I'll have you guys be seated, and then I'll tell us where we are going to go, and we'll pray over, over, over offering here. But I think we should give them a round of applause, church family. I am excited. So let me pray, and uh, then I will give us instructions, and then we'll pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you. For Jerry, Maggie, and Kaylee, for their desire to follow you, for their desire to be obedient to you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would seal their hearts today, Lord. That you would remind them daily of their commitment to you, but more so, Lord, your commitment to them. Father, I give you praise for them, and I thank you, Father, and I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. What we are going to do is we are going to, if you have got time, we should have sent out a text or something here, we are going to head on over to Taurus Park. I thought that I had a picture up there, but does everyone here know where Taurus Park is? It's the, you can Google it, you guys all have phones, you can punch it in, but Taurus Park, when you pull in, there's a big field on the right-hand side, so it's all wooded, and then there's this big field. And there's parking right in front of these wooden pillars. And then, and then at the end of that is the beach. Now, we were kind of debating on where to be going for this, but um, we know that it's Sunday, and I thought, well, maybe campers are leaving. We might get there, people, and there might be 100 people swimming. But we're still going to do it there because we don't, we don't care what, what people think, and we want to be obedient to the Lord. So we're going to give them time to change. And we're going to leave here at about, let's say like 12, 10, give us like 15 minutes. And we're going to head on over to Taurus Park. You are welcome to come and join us and be a part of water baptism. And also, if you have not been baptized and you want to walk in obedience to what the Lord calls you to, you've got time to get some clothes and get to the water. And we will baptize you. Let me pray over, over offering this morning, and then we will be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, thank you that we get to partake in water baptism today, Lord. Father, I thank you that we can come and look to your word. Father, as we go now, Lord, I pray over this offering. Lord, I pray that your kingdom will continue to grow in Marquette County. Lord, that, that, that our church will be a light in this place. Father, we give you praise, and I thank you for this offering now, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.